Thank you for tuning in to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. This is a Crooker Family Ministries production, and today we're going to be talking about reconciliation. In days of the past, there was a revival that piqued the interest of many onlookers and sparked the Pentecostal movement within the United States. With not only controversial teaching and new forms of worship, but also brought with it a movement of inclusivity. This is lacking in today's generation. Let's talk about that. Today, we've got a guest speaker with us. We've got Rico Smith. Now, I have actually sort of been following him for several years now. Um, I believe we connected on Facebook, uh, maybe Twitter, several several years ago. And uh, I, I've been following what he's been doing. Um, he's been doing some incredible things with the help of the Lord. And uh, so we have Rico with us. And I'd like him to just sort of first just tell us a little bit about himself, maybe maybe his ministry, uh, and what he intends on doing uh, right now. All right. Thank you, um, Brandon, um, for inviting me on to this Apostolic Theory podcast. I truly appreciate the work that God has given you to do, and I honor you today for the um, contribution that you're making to the body of Christ, not just in the United States, but at large, because this spiritual activity not only affects our um, immediate locations, but it goes throughout the spiritual airwaves all over the world. And so first and, first and foremost, I'd like to honor you and appreciate you for what you do for the body of Christ and also inviting me on. Um, as he stated, my name is Rico Smith. Um, I'm married to my wife, Christian Smith, high school sweethearts, been together, um, started dating in 2007, it's 2021, and so 14 years we've been together, been married eight years. Of those 14 years we've been together, we have three girls, three beautiful darling girls, Ivy Grace, Kinsley Elizabeth, and Madeline Rose. Um, we are ordained ministers. Well, I am an ordained minister with the United Pentecostal Church International, but I got my start in the oldest Women's Apostolic Pentecostal group, which is the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World. That is where I received my new birth transformation of baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost under uh, my leadership and my father in the gospel, Bishop Leroy Horn. And so from there, the Lord allowed me to stay there and get grounded and rooted, going through different seasons of my life as a youth pastor and then elevated to the office of youth director over two states where we oversaw about between 120 to 140 youth departments. Uh, and then from there, the Lord allowed me to migrate as he called me to the United Pentecostal Church International, myself and my family. And from there on, um, our first year here in January 2019, um, I was received in with open arms in July 2019, I, 2019. I was ordained in the Mississippi District of the United Pentecostal Church. And from there, I've been doing different works and different ministries and different things. But one of the main focuses the Lord has allowed me to focus on is reconciliation in the body of Christ, reconciliation between the different races and ethnicities in different apostolic organizations, but the entire body of Christ at large. That is absolutely incredible. And uh, I, I really like, 
I just really like how, you know, you've sort of just allowed the Lord to use not only the connections, you know, that you've made over the years, but, you know, making these new connections, you know. And um, so, as you know, and I know, you know, the Azusa Street revival, um, it was really turning heads because of the involvement, you know, of the racial differences. Right. Right. And, and so um, not only just necessarily the new doctrine that was being uh, promoted, but, mm-hmm. you know, new forms of worship. But the fact that these races that have up to that point had been segregated were coming together to worship God. And yes. so, you know, and, and so I can really appreciate, you know, what you're doing, because uh, up here in Maine, this there, there's just so much contention between first of all different organizations true um you know we hold the same faith we hold the same doctrine and so we shouldn't be allowing you know these uh that we shouldn't be allowing that uh that um division you right. know among. and so i i definitely noticed that in in maine uh specifically because that's where i'm from true uh that there's just there's just that not even just racial divide, but organizational divide, which is, yes. you know, we, we if we're going to go forward and we're going to have this revival like they had at the Azusa Street, you know, we've got to we've got to get beyond that. We've got to get past that. We have to, um, Brandon, um, we have to get beyond that. And because we're in the body of Christ, a lot of people like to try to keep it formal. I'll say that first and foremost. So when you hear Brandon and I refer to each other just on first name basis, instead of me saying brother Crooker or he saying brother Smith or brother Rico, it's not that we've forgotten that we're we're brothers in the body of Christ. Um, but this is a podcast that's intended for not only believers, but I truly believe, truly believe that unbelievers will get a chance to listen to this. And so addressing each other by our first name is no disrespect between the two of us. It's just that how we are addressing one another. So I, first and foremost, I wanted to say that because I do not mind anyone just calling me Rico. And I'm sure he doesn't mind me calling him Brandon. But I wanted to um, comment on what he just said about these differences between our different organizations in this day and time, especially when we hold the basic, basic fundamental doctrines such as water baptism in Jesus' name, believing in the atonement and sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, believing in the oneness of God, um, knowing that God was made flesh in, in, in Christ throughout the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When we hold these basic doctrines, as, uh, as the writer of Hebrews, as theologians believe it was Paul and some accredited it to some of Paul's students, but anyways, he said that, you know, these basic doctrines, these basic principles, leaving them and going on into perfection, not abandoning them. But he was saying we'll revisit them if we have to. But we're going to go on to perfection, you know, beautifying the body, unifying the body, edifying the body. And if we have those basic fundamental doctrines down packed where we both believe all of the rest of the petty differences and I intentionally call them petty differences, because they came somewhere along the line from uh, misconstrued teachings and some types of sometimes some reactions to what was going on in society in some years back in the 1900s and some reactions to different 
happenings in that culture of that day, in that climate of that day. And we have these petty differences where we keep one another divided over the things that pretty much don't hold a lot of biblical significance or weight, if any at all. Some can be just talked up to, um, to tradition and some can be talked up to this is how I want it to be done. And we, we, we begin to bind and loose things that have begun to cause us to be divided in the body of Christ. And I don't believe that God ever permits us to bind and lose something that will begin to bring a divide or a wedge into his body. So when we get to binding and loosing certain things that brings a wedge and a divide in the body of Christ, we begin, we need to start asking ourselves rather, did Christ really approve the binding and the loosing that we did? There are some doctrines in the Bible that we can pinpoint to that we can argue on in the Bible and we can back it up with biblical fact, scriptural support. But then there are others that we need to get over the hump on. Um, I heard it was said recently, um, is this a hill that you're willing to die on? Well, the, the other person responded and said, well, is this a hill that you're willing to crucify me on? And so we need to get beyond those hills and, and give each other levity, give each other a room and allowance and grace and mercy, but work together. Even the devils are united. They've always been united. They've never been divided in their mission and in their cause to upend the body of Christ in the work of God. Well, now we need to put down all the sectarianism and come together as one. That doesn't mean that we need to dissipate all of our different organizational standings and have our uniqueness but what I am saying is we need to come together more often than we've been coming together in times past. Absolutely. So, you know, as you were talking, you know, it reminded me a little bit about, you know, um, when when Paul was having this conversation um, with Peter, I believe it was. And, mm -hmm. he, you know, they were talking about the differences between the Gentiles and the Jews. And we were talking about um uh, well, you know, you've got to be, you, they've got to be circumcised. They're not following this law that, you know, right. this covenant, right? And it mm -hmm. was creating sort of this divide with these new believers that didn't come from a Jewish background necessarily. True. And, and so, and, but here's Paul, he, he's coming up and he's saying, you know, this, we can't be doing this. Right. You know, we, we've got to, we've got to be able to say, yes these traditions are necessary for the Jewish people. Right. But these Gentiles don't have this same covenant. They don't have this same necessarily relationship. True. And so, you know, and I think that that's really one of the, one of the best pinpoints that we could focus on, you know, when we're talking about how we go forward from here. It, it, and Brandon, you brought out some very interesting points and my mind was going there, but you went ahead and put it on the table. And so I'll comment on that. It's about this Peter and Paul. Peter was the apostle whom the Lord Jesus Christ gave the commission um, that, you know, I'm going to build or gave the encouragement. The gates of hell should not prevail against the church. He was speaking directly to Peter, but also all of the other apostles that were present in his followers. Absolutely. But he was saying that Peter was going to be the leader. That's why we see Peter rise up in Acts chapter number two and take charge 
when the men are mocking, saying, oh, they're drunk with new wine. And Peter said, no, these are not drunk as you suppose. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And Peter goes on this, this extensive discourse and remind them that they murdered our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then they're pricked in their heart and they say, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? And that's when we get that famous passage of scripture in Acts 2.38 to 41. And the baptism in Jesus' name, repentance and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the promise being unto all that are far off. And But Peter, when he heard that this promise was all to that are far off, being speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, in Peter's closed mind, he was just thinking of the far off Jews. When he read that, you could tell that he was just thinking about Jews when he read that the spirit being poured out upon all flesh. He was just thinking about the flesh of the Jews because mm -hmm. God had to show him in a vision. Um, chapters later, different types of four-footed beasts and all manner of creeping things. And God had to tell him, what I've cleansed, don't you call unclean. So Peter, in his mind, was just thinking about the Jews receiving this salvation, for salvation is of the Jews, right? As Paul right. mentioned in Romans. But that is not the intent that God had. He had already spoken through Isaiah and the rest of the prophets about the Gentiles being called in. In the book of Amos and Habakkuk, all of those different books, God would give inspiration and he would put emphasis on the Gentiles. And Peter, just reading from a Jewish context and having a Jewish tunnel vision, just wanted the Jews to be brought in. And then God had to raise up an apostle who would go out, who was trained under the Jews, Galileo, who was trained and in, 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 uh, expert. He said, I'm the chief among the chiefest in there. I'm an Israeli indeed. I'm an Israelite of the right. stock of Benjamin. But God says, but your heart is going to be for all of the classes of people. Though your education was under the Jews, you have a heart after mine for all people. And so God would raise up a Jewish trained man who would have a heart for the Gentiles and Jews alike. And so that's why when he and Peter come together and they're talking and he says, look, if y'all want to have these traditions, that's good and dandy. Good and fine. But let's not impose upon those who are winning things that have no biblical strength. It's, it's not going to throw off your faith, but it may hinder and prevent and prohibit them from ever entering into the faith because you're putting too much on them. These are traditions that God has not required. And that's why Paul's ministry was so effective because he was a restorationist in the sense that he wanted to keep it 100% biblical and Holy Ghost inspired. And when we keep it 100% biblical and Holy Ghost inspired, we will stop requiring everyone to become Timothy and start allowing the Tituses to be among us. That's heavy. That's good. That is so, that is so good. But that is so true. You know, and, and so we've got to, we, we just, you know, we just have to, we have to, you know, and, and I, I see more often, you know, that there are um, those that are willing to step beyond that divide, you know, and sort of attempt to bridge that gap. But then, you know, as we're, as, as we're bridging that gap, it's like, we have this community 
that just wants to crucify us. Yes. You know, when they should be behind us. True. Ooh, Brandon. Wow. Bro. <laughs> You're 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 talking heavy. <laughs> you're talking really heavy today. I can see that this is going to be a heavy one, but it's much needed. Um, you're, you're talking really heavy today, but go ahead. And and you know and I don't think that it's and again yeah I, I'm sure I'm sure that it's not just specifically in the Pentecostal movement, right? True. I think that it, you could probably find this really in any denomination, um, and. It's it's sad. And it is. It's it's yeah, sad I, and it's repugnant. It, it's repugnant into unto the eyes, into the nostrils of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because here we are. Um, I, uh, the Lord gave me a sermon title, and back in 2015, I've yet to preach it. I have not preached it one time yet, but I am going to. But the Lord has been building it out ever since then. And he told me apostolic Pentecostal in a bubble. And I was like, God, what do you mean? And that's when he took me to the scriptures where he told Peter and the other, other apostles and disciples who were there that you're going to be witnesses unto me, to Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and the utmost parts of the earth. Well, they wanted to remain in the bubble. And because they were not leaving out of that bubble in Jerusalem, the Lord had to raise up trouble through Saul and have them disperse and go abroad just so Jesus's word would not fall flat to the ground because Jesus would never prophesy something that will not come to pass. And so they were trying to remain apostolic in a bubble or Christian in a bubble. And the Lord was like, no, no, no. This gospel is for whosoever will that will come to me, who will hear you, who will accept this. You can't go to just the people that you want. You have to go to everyone. And that's when the Lord allowed trouble to rise up. Well, Brandon, let's bring this into the context of our day. I believe that trouble has risen up and we were, we were forced to go online. It's because most of our conferences are for the apostolic. Most of our meetings are for the apostolic, no matter how small, local, national, or international. Most of them are catered to the apostolic believers, the oneest believers. But are we not falling into the same trap of the Pharisees when we only go after our own kind and not leave the 99 and go for the one? It's okay to fellowship with one another when we have like precious faith. But the entire gospel is not centered around people of like precious faith. It's centered around those who are in need of the faith. That's the purpose of the gospel, to win people who need the faith, not those who are already whole. Right. Absolutely. And so somewhere along the way, you know, we really dropped the ball. Right. And I say and I say we because, you know, we we can really look throughout these past few generations where, yeah, you know, we do. I grow increasingly concerned, you know, when we're talking more about numbers like, yeah, we, we had five people get baptized. We had five people get the Holy Ghost. We had five people, new converts. They're coming. They're coming to Bible study. And then, you know, five years down the road. 
we didn't facilitate their relationship with God. We just fed them a bunch of meat ready to be off the, the milk and right. then, then backslide. And then what good did we do? And then we also could look at, you know, what groups of um, Pentecostalism that have dropped biblical standards. Mm-hmm. And then when you start dropping biblical standards, then you're looking at, you know, that's when the world starts creeping into the, these churches. Mm-hmm. And then, so then you have people come in and you save them to what you're supposed to be saving them from. Right. Right. And and those are two different categories that require different amounts of attention, especially even in this conversation. Um, the first one where you were saying, you know, we, we, we get the people, we win them, but we begin to immediately feed them meat. Start taking off this. Stop wearing this. Stop looking at this. Stop doing this. Stop going here. Stop going that. Instead of coaching them along and nurturing them and nourishing them as the babies that they are. A baby, no matter how much you force feed it, will not grow faster than the rate that's already designed into its DNA. It's impossible. I know that we got benchmark tests that little babies take when they go there and the doctors are like, oh my gosh, they're excelling, they're this. But when you still look at that baby, it's still in an infant body. Right. It still cannot speak and it still cannot take care of itself. The doctor is given a great evaluation, but the reality of the matter is the evaluation is beyond what's physically seen in the baby. And so we have to be we have to be OK with allowing the assessments and the evaluations to be on an infant level when we're dealing with infants. It's fine. They're not ready for strong meat. They're, they're, they're good on their milk, but the encouragement should be to not stay on milk. It's to gradually allow them to um, progress. That's getting them connected with the right people. You're feeding them things directly out the Bible. So then the second point you, you brought up about those who are losing the biblical standards, and that's when they begin to mimic and echo and, and imitate the world and start to look like the world. And we're saving them to what we're saving them from. And then we also have to ensure that they're leaving the biblical standards and not man's standards. And so we, we become so harsh and judgmental towards certain groups about things that we've been ingrained that has been ingrained rather into us and fed into us and told us this is what holiness looks like when we need to revert back to what the bible says holiness is and then we go and help those groups that have strayed away that have followed after a bad pattern instead of saying let's not fellowship them let's not look down on them and so we've created a lot of chaos and ruckus in the body of Christ, and that's not being pessimistic, it's just the truth, uh, with sometimes our holier-than-thou outlook, instead of doing what Jesus did and sitting down and eating with the sinners and the perceived ones who had fallen from, from grace. Instead, we, as you said, we were like, did we do them any good by putting up these numbers that we got five baptized 
but then they end up backsliding because we're trying to take them too fast or we haven't fed them at all. And so Jesus, uh, he, 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 he got on to the um, Pharisees about this. He was saying they make them twice the candidate for hell. So are we effective in making people twice the candidate for hell? Or are we more effective in making them a better candidate for heaven? Mm. That is, that is so, that is so true. Every, every bit, every, just every bit of, you know, what we're talking about. It really comes back to allowing ourselves to be the body of Christ. It comes back to setting, you know, our flesh aside and moving forward in the kingdom of God, because, you know, as, um, as we read, John says, I must decrease so that God, Jesus, God. can increase. Woo. And so when we, we wouldn't see what we're seeing now if we would, if man would set himself out of the, out of the driver's seat and allow the spirit to lead, to guide and direct us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the Bible says, you know, God has given the body of Christ some apostles, some prophets, some teachers, some pastors, mm-hmm. some evangelists. Okay, so everybody in in the church has a role and a responsibility. Yes, to be what God has called each and every one of us individually to be. Now, also, He has called upon the shepherd, the leader, to facilitate that growth. Yes. Yes. So if we are never facilitating that growth, that's when we run into dead churches, you know, families that are being destroyed. Carnal churches. Right. And so we have to get back to being the body of Christ that God intended us to be. And, we, you know, these differences between, you know, personal standards there's nothing wrong with having a different personal standard than someone else right the length of my sleeve should not stop me from fellowshipping with my friend and my brother that goes to a church across town who teaches that a different sleeve length from the pulpit you know and and so small things like this should not be hindering the move of God in our communities. No, bro. And, and that is so powerful that you went into specifics there because normally we hear these type conversation and they're always speaking in generalities and they're leaving it up for the um, room to guess and assume, well, what, what could they be talking about? No, these sacred cows, um, our sacred cows that we truly only have personal preference for must not elevate or be elevated rather above the commandments of almighty God. Right. That is the issue that we're running to in our day and time. We always try not to compare ourselves. We, we contrast ourselves to the Roman Catholic church, but how are we any different when we begin to elevate traditions and standards above biblical teachings 
especially traditions and standards that causes divisions and alts and strong differences that interrupt and disrupt fellowship with other like precious faith believers. I love the fact that you can find in the Bible um, about the cutting of hair. I love the fact that you can pinpoint that in the scripture. There should be no argument there. But a lot of the other things are negotiables. The other thing, the, the cutting of the hair is non-negotiable. Paul wrote it. We should adhere to it. But a bunch of the other things are strongly negotiable. In fact, they shouldn't even be a part of a lot of our conversations. Because people will begin to look at us as they already do and begin to say that we're cultish. They're in a cult. They believe this. And they believe that. Well, how many of how much of that is devil inspired and us inspired? Because a lot of things that we are seeing that the devil is trying to give the world to cause the church to look bad, he's getting our help from. Right. He's getting our help on. We we've given him the foothold. We've allowed this. We've allowed that. And when I said earlier about the win on the Titus is going to come in, um, I've been hearing it for years, years that, yes, um, we don't do this here or we don't wear this here. We, you won't allow you to look like this when you're a man here. Um, but let me show you where this was said in the Bible and Paul had Timothy to be circumcised. Well, in those private conversations, I will always ask them, okay, so when is Titus going to show up? And they just look at me like, oh my gosh. Because you can't continue to force Timothy onto people when that was not Paul's entire motive for that to be picked up as a running teaching. Because Titus came along as well. And he was a great pupil of Paul, just as Timothy was. Absolutely. So, back to our introduction, you were talking about God has called you to basically act in the ministry or work in the ministry of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk to me a little bit about what you're doing through that. Um, I love everything that we've talked about. I think it's so powerful. It's it's great material, and I'm excited about what we're going to do through this episode. Uh, but I do want to get to a little bit about what you're doing through Azusa again and what you're doing um, through uh, that ministry specifically. Well, um, the ministry of reconciliation that the Lord gave me um, that I reluctantly um, adhered to. Um, it was something that did not come easy for me because when I came up in the Pentecostal Assembly of the World, I knew nothing about the United Pentecostal Church International. Never heard one thing about it, never even heard their name mentioned. Um, and that was, I was with them for nine years. I've only been saved 12 years. And so I was with them um, for for nine whole years, almost 10. 
I never once heard the United Pentecostal Church International mentioned. So I didn't even know that it existed. And when it came about, I started visiting a church down the road that's UPC from my wife and I. Um, I would pass here when I was dropping my wife off to work and always say, oh, we're going to visit that church one day. For three years, we said that. And then we got a chance to visit it. And we fell in love with the church, the worship, and the things that we love to do. And plus, it was close to home because we was driving two and a half hours one way every Sunday to church. And we did that for almost five years. And we were like, okay, we were looking for convenience. We were just in love with the Lord and loyal to our pastor. But the Lord began to call me and put that love in my heart to join the church down here. And when I joined the church down here, that's when I started going to their meetings and I went to one of the Building the Bridge conferences. And that's when I got invited to meet with the um, district superintendent and the local pastor in the lunchroom or in the fellowship hall to eat that night. And no one um, proselyted me or anything of that nature. But I began to have conversations. And I began to come home and just to pray to God and just begin to think about reconciliation. Me living in Mississippi, I always have experienced and seen and witnessed the divide between whites and blacks and Hispanics in everyday life. Racism, prejudices, no one wanting to talk to one another and all of the different little innuendos and different types of things that were being said. But when I recognized that it was also in the church, that bothered me because if we are the church and we're the body of Christ, we should not be following the pattern of the world. We should be the example. We should be the pattern for which the world follows. And the Lord began to deal with me and I began to pray with, pray to him. And he began to speak to me about reconciliation and that's when the ball got to rolling about reconciliation between the races and the body of Christ. Well, how do you reconcile the races and the body of Christ without crossing the organizational lines? As um, multicultural and multiracial as the United Pentecostal Church is, it's still predominantly Caucasian or white. Mm. So also the large, the other larger episodic um, organizations they're largely African-American with way less than 1% of white or other being involved inside of their organizations. Some have absolutely no other representation outside of being African-American. And so I knew it was going to be a daunting task, and that's why I reluctantly agreed to do it. But it didn't take that much convincing because I wanted to see the body reflect what it was looking like in the Bible. And what the book of Revelation tells us it's going to be in heaven. And so when the Lord began to deal with me, I began to reach out to different leaders, set up different meetings, um, different interviews. And I was asking God, okay, where do I start? Where do I start? And the Lord let me know to start with racism. When the Lord told me to start with racism, I knew that I'm a Mississippi boy and I didn't want to put out project a Mississippi view onto an entire United States view because what I may be experiencing in Mississippi other states may not be experiencing 
But apparently the Lord had it right. Of course he had it right because it proved to be effective in what he started me on. And I began to have those conversations with those, those different leaders about racism in the church. And a conference was not even thought of at the time. All I know is God was telling me to reach out to those different leaders and talk to them about addressing and tackling racism in the church, in the body of Christ. And when I did, going towards the third interview with Nathaniel Wilson of the WPF, the Lord spoke to me and let me know that he was going to turn this into a meeting. Not your per usual conference where you come and you raise big money and you get your, your, your dynamic speakers, the ones who can headline, who everyone knows, the very popular ones, and you draw the crowds and say, oh, we had a great meeting. The Lord let me know that this is to not be like another conference. For this, these meetings are going to be the meetings that address the real world issues across not only organizational lines, but racial lines, political lines, the elephants in the room that we do not talk about, but we're comfortable with them existing. And so the Lord began to deal with me along those lines and he let me know that it was gonna take being bold, it was gonna take being courageous, but if I did not fear what man could do to me, he told me that he would protect me. That doesn't mean I would not be prosecuted. I mean, persecuted, not prosecuted. <laughs> maybe a little said, bit of both. <laughs> right. Maybe a little bit of both. He said, it didn't mean that I wouldn't be persecuted. He said, right. but if I don't allow their fear to be projected onto my life, he will preserve me and protect me and my family. It's been lonely. It's been tough. It's been grueling. But it's been very rewarding to see what God is doing. Enrico doesn't even have to be involved. It can be anyone else. And so that's how Azusa again came to be. It was through those series of interviews, which we will have more to come very soon, um, to continue these conversations. Conversations that both sides want to sweep under the rug. Because you have a side that always feel like they're being the ones projected as racist which is the white side, but then you also got the side that's black that don't want you to mention other things about certain political affiliations. But And then that's also existent on the white side. And so we must address those hard topics. That's the way the Lord put it to me first. So I, if you handle the hard things, I will handle the easy things. Because the Lord, he invites us into this work. Taking up your cross daily, he didn't say he's going to take up our cross. He invites us to take up our cross. That's a hard thing. The easy thing is the results. The Lord would do that part. But we have to be willing to step into the road, to take up the cross, to step out on the waves of the storm as Peter did. And that is what the Lord called me to do. And reconciliation without confrontation is nothing but performance in a production. You cannot reconcile what is unwilling to be confronted. Right. And that is how Azusa again came to be. When Jesus went to retrieve the keys from Satan in hell, he had to confront him he didn't go in through a window. He didn't come in through a back door. 
he went in straight. Straight to his face, I want to believe. We don't get that many details. But I want to believe he went straight to his face and demanded the keys back because he had all power. Right. And he had to do that through confrontation. It was nothing easy. I'm sure they didn't sit down and have tea. I'm sure it wasn't something that Satan was willing to give up. He wanted to keep control of death. But Jesus said, this belongs to me. Their souls belong to me. And I'm going to do what must be done. The hard thing. I'm going to die. Though I'm going to pray for this cup to be passed from me. But I'm going to die. And I'm going to confront death. But it's going to benefit all across this world. All across this universe. And so when Jesus did what he did, that the highest example we must all follow. Was it popular? No, it became very popular because we're here today. You and I are Christians today because of Jesus Christ. It became very popular. But was it popular in this setting? It was not. It was gruesome and it was hard. He was betrayed. He was talked about. He was set up and this all done by those who were supposed to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't the world. It was those who said they loved God that did this to him. And so I knew what was at risk. I knew that it wasn't going to be the world that fought against me. I knew I came into this knowing it. That was that is what made me uncomfortable because I'm like, God, why do they just not want to do it? Because it requires acknowledging where we fall short. It requires humbling ourselves before each other. And it requires undoing years and decades of bad teaching against one another. Absolutely. And who wants to go on record saying my elder was wrong about this? Because they placed them in the seat of God. Therefore, let's not touch what they said wrong. Let's just say that they prayed about this and God gave it to them. That's a lie. Why would God give you something to divide his body like that? Yeah. And so, you know, I know this is heavy. And I know the listener is going to feel like it's heavy. But just line up everything I'm saying with the scriptures. If you can find it in the scriptures and you can find the essence of what I'm saying in the scriptures, then maybe Rico's not wrong. Maybe Rico's just not the person you want to hear say it. <laughs> right. Do you do you think so with I mean I so I'm writing a book. Um this will be my second book. Congratulations. I need the first oh. one. <laughs> uh it's called Matters of the Heart and uh you can get it right on Amazon. Gotcha. So this book that I've been working on is called The Epidemic of Fear 2020. I felt obviously led to write it. Um, a lot of powerful uh, material in there, but a lot of confrontational material in there. Mm-hmm. Now, what I feel like, and again, you correct me if I'm wrong, but okay. I, feel, I feel like, you know, a lot of these things that we're dealing with, racial divides, political divides, you know, um, really any type of divide that we we're addressing or that you're dealing with 
I think that maybe that all comes from a spirit of fear. Mm. Now, we know the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Mm-hmm. So if we have power, love, and a sound mind, what are we doing being controlled as the people of God by fear, really in any any avenue or aspect of it? Mm-hmm. You know, if, we look, if we're looking from a political perspective, I have to stay in this organization... I have to talk bad about this person because if this person comes up or they rise up and and someone likes them more, then I'll lose my position. Right. Or, well, you know, these blacks, they have really great preachers. They have really great worship. Mm -hmm. Now, what if they come into our, start coming into our church and then maybe, maybe my musicians won't be as great or maybe. And and so it, it stems from fear. It's, it stems from bro. You're you're addressing it all, and and, and look, the a famed wrestler um, producer. Because I grew up watching wrestling when I was very young. Used to watch WWF, WWE, and WCW um, when I was very young. And there's this author who was a great producer who took a dent into the WWF corporation for 83 weeks in a row in TV ratings. 83 weeks in a row. And the title of his book is Controversy Creates Cash. And so, why did I bring him up? A lot of people, Brandon, live off the gospel because of controversy. What I mean by that is controversial assaults on one another. We're the original apostolic group. They're not saved. They're not this. And we say all this stuff from the pulpit, which is controversial, but the group we're preaching it to likes to hear it. And so they set up this persona about us that, oh, I'm going to hear this person preach tonight because you already know they're coming with that fire. They don't hold anything back. They're going to say this. They're going to say that. They're known for insulting this group and that group, and they are true. Well, the other organizations have those same type people who do the same thing. And that controversy has created a cash flow because it makes um, conference ticket sales go up, make the offering go up, but it divides the body. Mm. And so it's that fear that you're seeing that is is rooted in fear, but it creates controversy. Because when you become afraid, you begin to just act out in ways you wouldn't normally act out in. You begin to do things and respond in ways you wouldn't normally respond. If you were calm, cool, and collected, the three C's. And so that fear brings that controversy. And that fear, coupled with controversy, has created a cash flow that so many are not willing to let go. Yeah. Loving the things of this world. God, you can't serve God and mammon. 
imagine how much money individually an organization would use would lose should we start doing yearly annually unity fellowships without our individual fellowship meetings it would we would lose a whole lot of cash but are we are we risking preserving the cash flow at the expense of further dividing the body wow and so we 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 have created a business out of the gospel and they don't want to hear that kind of talking but it that's exactly what it is we've created a business out of the gospel so what if black people sing better or play better and i'm not saying that they do what i am saying is so what if they do this better so what if whites organize this better and know how to handle business better and do that better so what if they do that that is why we're all members of one body right right absolutely is, is that not why we're supposed to feed one another and fellowship with one another because brandon has something that rico does not have granted god has made us all human and we possibly can get that but why when god intended for you to have the other piece to the puzzle so that we can come together and put it together absolutely we're all puzzle pieces but when someone wants to be that puzzle that's isolated and can't fit in then they go and find other puzzle pieces that didn't fit in other places and they try to make a jagged puzzle that will never be a mosaic in the eyes of god uh, and i think when you know when when we see that happening that that's obviously you know a lot more spiritual than we're willing to admit wow you know, when when we're stepping outside of the bounds of biblical teaching you know first of all fellowshipping with one another you know if you hate your brother you, you you're a liar because you can't love god and hate you your can't brother. love god Ooh. you know and so and this is this is biblical this is we can't we can't avoid this we can't get away from this we, we can't try avoid and this it. brandon you can try and sweep it under the rug and every time you come to that verse overlook it or skip it but it's still there that's still the word of god it's still the word of god and we and, become experts at adding to the bible something that we wow. condemn the roman catholic church about right are we their twin now <laughs> we become experts at adding to and taking away and that is a condemnation it should be a condemnation i, I should self-condemn you shouldn't wait till someone else do it i should self-condemn when i but i do it all to save face and saving face has caused people not, to not harden their face like a flint And just get along and go along with the end crowd. Yeah. And look Man. at the catastrophe. We're raising generations whom the we see the world showing beautiful mosaic of whites, blacks, browns, and all the other kinds of skin tones getting along so well. But the church is over here preserving the Jim Crow. Yeah. 
we we're we're breeding disaster where we should have you know that unity and that beauty of you know oneness the beauty of oneness the beauty of oneness uh, you know um two years ago the lord spoke to me i was getting groceries out of the car and this still is along the line of the conversation with about reconciliation and i was coming upstairs while i was getting groceries out the car and it was brandon out of nowhere god just speaks to me as i'm coming up the steps and he says what i am trying to heal in the body the church is dividing through politics wow and i came i told my wife i said i need to go and pray so i can get some expansion on that revelation what is god talking about and lo and behold one year later god showed me what he was talking about that was 2019 he told me that 2020 election season he allowed me to see it and i said god your word has come full circle he allowed me to see it people who i never thought would be on there putting hashtag trump 2020 biden harris 2020 What's wrong with make America this again? What's wrong with yes we can or we can do this? What's wrong with this? What's wrong? People who I've never thought I'd see post something like that was posting it. And the conspiracies, and the divides, and the tension. And let's wait for all the facts here. Let's wait for I never thought I would see this from church people. I never thought I would see it. And that's when the Lord let me know that his word is so true that while we preach revival, that's good and that's encouraging. But Paul and Jesus both said there's going to be a falling away. Then he said if the righteous scarcely be saved. Then he said many are going to depart. We're seeing that. We're seeing the exodus. While they still proclaim the oneness message, we're still seeing the spiritual exodus. Because we're fighting for the causes of our political affiliation instead of for the soul and the fellowship of my brother. Wow. <laughs> I that, think that... <laughs> that needed to make me uncomfortable. Yeah. I think that if we spent half as much time on these things that really, you know, on a on a on an eternal sense don't matter. It does not matter. If we spent half as much time on things that do matter, biblical, you know, helping my brother out, communion with saints, mm-hmm. helping helping each other grow spiritually. Mm-hmm. through a biblical context you know and reconciling you know and, and it, this is really what it comes back to we need to restore the church to its full glory mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus Oof. what a task Brandon what a and task it, but doable it is it is doable if we would 
if every one of us would just be willing to stop identifying. Uh, my pastor just the other day, he was preaching and he said um, he went, he was going to just stop identifying with people as, oh, well, what, what do you believe or, you know, whatever. And instead of saying I'm apostolic or I'm Pentecostal, he, he, he determined that he was just going to say I'm Christian. Oh, this is the Holy Ghost. I was wondering if we're going to take this conversation here. And I said, I didn't want to impose that on you. Oh, my, this is powerful. This is what God has been dealing with me on. I even was posting it on, on social media, as you saw. I'm Christian. A term that we can find in the Bible. Is it wrong right. to say you're apostolic? I don't believe it's wrong. But we even hijacked that term because we were not the first to use it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the the right. oneness believers were not the first to use that term. And your pastor is in the vein of what he's showing so many others around the world right now. It's the terminology that we begin to use that we've alienated our brothers and sisters. I'm going to give you a very strong example. In the PAW, there is a very well-known bishop who went and converted a large, gigantic Baptist church in Savannah, Georgia. Brandon is beautiful. They have about 3,000 members and counting right now. Wow. The church is called Jonesville Baptist Church because that's his historical name. It doesn't have anything in there that labels it as Pentecostal or apostolic. Well, to the naked eye, in the unlearned mind, when they hear Baptist church, all they're going to think of is the negatives that we've connotated with being Baptist. So they may never visit there instead of giving it a shot because it's an apostolic church in doctrine and lifestyle and teaching. It's because we place more emphasis on unbiblical terms instead of Christian and we, you, back to this fear thing that you were talking about, we fear calling ourselves Christian because there are so many people in the world that label themselves as Christian and we see that their lifestyle doesn't match their profession. Right. Well, the Apostle Paul never stopped calling himself an apostle, even though he called out the, the false apostles in Corinthians. Right. He never said, well, I'm going to change from calling myself an apostle because the false apostles are stirring y'all up the wrong way. He just said they're false apostles. And he continued to call himself and allow himself to be called an apostle. Why? Why did he do that? Why did he not place a distinction there? Because it was not needed. Because by their fruit, you should know them. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and this there's just a beauty in that simplicity. Beauty and simplicity, which the Bible warned that they would take away the simplicity. Whew. Man. I got to tell you, I just love, I just love when, when I just know, like, just through our conversation, that I just know that I'm right on in the Holy Ghost. Oh, you're right on, brother. You're and right. it just. That, it was the Holy Ghost. Wow. <laughs> this this is this podcast episode this is just gonna change this is gonna be revolutionary and I, you know to be honest I, I believe I, it I, in Jesus I, name 
I fully expect that there's going to be some some blowback, but here's the thing: they're going to hear it and they're not going to get away from it. They're not going to be able to get away from what they heard. You can't unhear truth. That's right. You can't unhear truth, um, even when it's not coming through the vehicle you wanted to come through. You you can't unhear truth, and blowback and pushback. My wife would tell anyone I've never been afraid of blowback and pushback, even when I was not saved. Um, and that only enhanced with the spirit of God when He saved me. I'm I've never been one who's afraid of blowback and pushback. The Azusa again meeting. I'll, I'll just give a little bit of that. The reason the Lord did not allow me to start the same way William Seymour started. Prayer started this thing. It was prayer that started it. And prayer is always in order. After you finish praying, you need to put some action to your prayer. We've been praying far too long with no action. The reason why we are still divided. We've been we've prayed more than any church in the, that has ever prayed in any dispensation. We can't say that we haven't. We got national prayer days that our leaders are involved in. We got prayer chains. We have networks of prayer in many of the apostolic organizations and other organizations. We got prayer hotlines. We got prayer calls going on in the morning. People are praying in their homes. Is it prayer that we are lacking in this day and time? It is not prayer. The Bible did not hint at prayer being non-existent in the last day climate. It was the follow through. That's going to be non-existent. Yeah. And so prayer was not the objective of this Azusa again meeting to be on the forefront. There was prayer going on behind the scenes. But the Lord needed a call to attention because the call to attention, as angry as it made some people, was going to make them circumspectly inspect themselves and begin to pray. Because it was the preaching of repentance that caused Jonah's people in his day and time to start praying. It wasn't prayer first, it was preaching first. So it doesn't have to be one way or the other. It doesn't always have to be prayer first. As some would that question the, the, the popularity of it. I'm not looking for popularity in any meeting that God has given me. But the effects are already sounding throughout everyone who already watched it. Because it's the preaching that people are going to look at and be like, can't believe they said that. And then it's going to get you to thinking. Why did, they, why did they say that? Well, let me go and people love trying to research when you used to say something against their politics, but expect you to take it at face value when they say things that are unscriptural. Right. Mm. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. <sighs> well, Brother Rico, I appreciate you taking the time to thank you for asking me 
to, t- to talk to me. This is this has been a this has been tremendous. This is this has been awesome. <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, Jesus you Christ, know, be glorified. We're we're just you know we're just gonna keep we're just gonna keep rolling with it. Keep mm-hmm. obeying the Lord. We're gonna see you know what the Lord can do. Um, you guys, anybody that's listening, you really need to check out uh, Brother Rico Smith. He's right on um, uh, right on Twitter. He's got a Facebook. You can check out uh, the Azusa again. Um, you'll be tremendously blessed uh, to to do so. Um, if you haven't already, follow Apostolic Theory Podcast on Twitter. We also yes. have Facebook. Um, this is God is up to something big, and I've been saying that for probably the last six months. But in the spiritual realm, there is a shifting that is happening. Wow. And it would do each and every one of us a great deal of service, not only for our churches, but for our own personal lives. If we would spend less time worrying about what everybody else is doing, and we could just focus on what we're doing. What are we doing today to move forward in the kingdom of God? What are we doing today that will have effects tomorrow wow and so as uh as we close this out again thank you rico for for hopping on this uh podcast episode i really appreciate it anytime Uh, brandon anytime uh, i'll be looking forward to to the next time that i have you on i'm sure it'll be soon because i just i just love (laughs) what i feel in the holy ghost right now i'm probably gonna hop off this and spend some time in prayer Um, oh god thank you jesus just believe in god he's going to do some great things so thank you very much um we'll see you next time see you next time thank you for having me on brandon god bless god bless bye-bye this podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.